This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquariumania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anon, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Most people think of shrimp as something you dip in a cocktail sauce or serve scampi style. But over the past several years, beautiful technicolored shrimp have burst upon the freshwater aquarium scene, adding to the diversity of species for aquarium keepers. My guest today is Grant Eater, owner and operator of the Garden of Eater, an internet-based source of award-winning freshwater aquarium shrimp. Join us as Grant describes his journey to the industry and educates us on shrimp varieties and keeping. We'll be right back after these messages. Tired of wasting money on giant bags, boxes, and jugs of litter that don't last? Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter that lets you use less and get more. World's Best Cat Litter uses the concentrated power of corn to deliver outstanding odor control and easy cleanup. It's lightweight, 99% dust-free, and pet, people, and planet-friendly. It's even flushable. Make the switch to World's Best Cat Litter and save $2. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Media on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Grant Eater, owner and operator of The Garden of Eater. Hey, Grant, thanks again for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So before we kind of delve into the eater world of shrimp and, and the business, I want to ask some personal questions, kind of get to know you a little better. But when did you first get involved in the aquarium hobby? I've always kind of had a fish tank or some kind of pond out back. We kept koi in a pond pretty much my whole life out back. But besides that, I've always had some type of fish tank or something that I'd have anything I caught outside to something I wanted at a pet store. And can you remind me where, like, where were you living when you were growing up or where were you from? Well, I was born in Hawaii, but I moved to Florida when I was three. So basically my whole life I've been in the swamps and rivers and ocean of Florida, but I uh, spent a few summers in Hawaii as well. So when you had your uh, aquariums, you, you mentioned, uh, do you remember what species specifically you had in those? My first tank that I really, really wanted and got anything from a pet store I ended up getting six neon tetras and an African claw frog. And as soon as I set up the tank and everything like that and got the fish finally in it, I uh, started to freak out because my frog ended up starting to eat my neons. So <laughs> one tank quickly became two tanks. And from there, I just kind of always was interested and wanted more or something new. You hadn't actually talked to the frog like before you put him in there and kind of explained the situation, you know, like not to eat the fish? No, I kind of talked to him at the pet store a few times and he seemed like a really cool guy and I kind of begged my parents for him so many times and I eventually got one and I wanted a couple friends for him and we wanted to be a loner, so it didn't work out. I think he probably figured out that, you know, you're bringing him food to swim with him, which is, you know, it happens. Yeah, I was, I think, probably like six years old, so I didn't really know, you know, the food chain too well then. So uh, what did you do before you started the Garden of Eater? I did landscaping. My dad had 
started up a landscape business and I kind of took that over and uh, realized it's not what I wanted to do with my life. So when did you decide after uh, realizing you didn't want to do landscaping that you, you wanted to get into the shrimp business? Well, I was doing a lot of chameleons and different kind of reptiles and stuff beforehand. And uh, when my dad offered me the landscape business, I didn't really have time to take care of crickets and worms for two hours a day. So I kind of decided, you know, I'll get into something different. I still want something that's going to be interacting with genes and uh, breeding for a purpose other than just making more babies. And uh, I was always on Craigslist and I would sell and buy, you know, used products and stuff for the reptiles. And it didn't matter what you typed in. You always got this ad on Craigslist for cherry shrimp. Start up your own red cherry shrimp business from home, make extra money on the side. And I just never really took it seriously, but I kind of was always interested in the red cherry shrimp themselves. And when I got rid of all of my reptiles and everything like that, I didn't want to have nothing. So I ended up getting a shrimp tank. I started with 25 red cherries and one 10-gallon tank. And before I knew it, a month or two later, I had several babies and more shrimp than I thought I'd even be able to get on my own. And I decided to set up another tank and then another tank. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should try a new color shrimp. So I ended up starting to sell off some of my first red cherry shrimp to pay to get my blue velvet, which was the second shrimp I got. So if it wasn't for me being on Craigslist trying to sell my reptiles and get out of that, I would have never really stumbled across the red cherries on Craigslist and probably would have never got them in the first place. So now you're giving Craigslist like 10% of everything you make? <laughs> no, no. But, <laughs> oh, you know, man. I did message that guy saying, you know, because he still makes the same post on Craigslist today. I have no <laughs> clue what the guy actually does because if you go onto his site, his shrimp are always sold out. I know he sells like filters and fertilizer and stuff like that. But, you know, I messaged the guy and saying, you know, this one post really kind of motivated me and I didn't think anything would really come out of it. But, you know, today I'm supporting my whole family on it. So it's really great. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, obviously you could be breeding fish, you know, you know any other type of animal, aquatic or otherwise. So what is it about crustaceans, you know, shrimp and crayfish that fascinates you? Well, when I was a kid, shrimp were just really easy to catch in the springs nearby. We had the Wikiwachi Springs and I would go there as a kid and I'd always end up with a fishnet and a bucket away from everybody on the sides of the banks where nobody's swimming in the grass and catching ghost shrimp. And if it wasn't doing that, I was at my friend's house who lives on the back of a lake and we were always catching crawfish. And when I was in Hawaii spending my summers there, we would catch anywhere from crabs to the coral banded shrimp off the dock, depending on what time of the day it was. So they've always been around. I've always been comfortable with them. Being able to identify them kind of came really easy to me. You know, so the invertebrate side is just always stayed close to home for me. But, you know, I always had fish at the same time. But I've always had more issues keeping fish and more troubles. And I've always wanted to breed and see production and see productivity in real time. And with fish, it just took longer. And with shrimp, the reproduction rate is so quick. You know, the generations is just so fast. And I just never had any issues, and they're just very, very easy. So when I just started with one tank, 
you know, I just was kind of dipping my toes in it and it just worked so well for me. I was just, all right, let's add another shrimp tank, add another shrimp tank. And I've always kept fish on the side as well, but I was doing more successful with my shrimp. So I just kept expanding on the shrimp side. So how did your uh, fiance become involved? She kind of more or less got me involved more. When we first got together, I actually didn't have a fish tank at the time. I had a pond out back with a koi, but I never really had a fish tank in my room as a teenager. And when I started going out with her, she had a 55-gallon tank with an Oscar and a Grammy and a 30-gallon tank. I can't remember what was in there, but I just was you know, interested and decided to get my own tank. And then eventually when we got into chameleons, those were also her idea. She wanted a chameleon and I said, okay, I got her a chameleon. And then the more I looked into the animals and whatnot, I was like, you know what, let's get a female and let's see if we can't breed these and, you know, see where that goes. And I was just dipping my toes in with the first pair with her on those. And we had Jackson chameleon babies. They have horns, they give live birth. And usually the success rate of raising the babies is very low. But out of 16 babies, I was able to raise 14 of them up to juveniles and sell them off. And the only two I lost were they were very young and fragile and they fell from too high up and they just kind of survived the fall. But she's always been interested in everything and she was very supportive of everything I wanted to do. And so more or less. That's great. That's really cool. And uh, so maybe um, now we can talk a little bit about shrimp. Shrimp are obviously a little more complicated, I think, life cycle wise than, than fish. Can you maybe tell us a little bit of some of the basics of shrimp, you know, the shrimp life cycle, um, you know, breeding, development, that sort of thing, just uh, in a nutshell? Yeah. So you'll start off with two shrimp, a male and a female, that is adults. And the female, you'll see right behind her head, will form a saddle. And this saddle is a cluster of unfertilized eggs. And when she molts, she'll send hormones into the tank and the male will sense these hormones and he'll start swimming all around the tank. And not just him, all the males in the tank will do this. So they call this dancing and all the shrimp will be swimming around finding this female. And one will finally find her and he'll get on top of her and basically tag her. And if all the eggs are fertilized, they'll drop down into her stomach and at this time, we call her buried when she's pregnant. These eggs will take about 30 days to hatch, depending on water temperature. The hotter the temperature, the quicker they'll hatch, colder, vice versa. So with the babies hatching at about 30 days, they can take anywhere from one month to three months to become sexually mature. Males will generally become quicker than females. So the one month on a male is not uncommon. However, generally two months. For males and females are generally two to three months at maturity you'll start to see that saddle and then from there the process repeats so now do you notice that the female shrimp like will select the best dancing male you know or does, does no it's, it's really who <laughs> finds her first so so there's <laughs> what no we skill, try to do no is, involved yeah no not for the shrimp they're they're not peacocks or anything like that but for the most part what you do is you would try and remove all of your males that are undesirable from your tanks any that don't have the desired pattern or anything like that show any transparency you would remove them so the males that are tagging your females are going to be your higher grade and that will increase your quality of breed 
stuff. Okay. Now, when we talk about shrimp, you know, I know there's varieties and there's species. How many different, starting with the species, I guess, of freshwater shrimp are there in the aquarium hobby? Oh, there's quite a few. The ones that I work with are Neocaridina. They're probably the easiest, what most people start out with and get when they begin. And then you have Caridina, and there's several different types of varieties and subspecies of Caridina. I'm not sure if Paracaridina is a subspecies or not, but my princess super bees are Paracaridina, and we're unsure if they will cross with Caridina or not. But I did have a friend who says the only Paracaridina was in the tank was a female. The rest were Caridina, and she's now buried. So we'll see if the eggs were fertilized or not. We're still waiting on that. And then besides that, really all I keep are Sulawese. Uh, these are a harder water shrimp. They need a higher pH and a higher temperature. What is, speaking of all these species, um, what's the general kind of size range at maturity for these shrimp? When you're entering shrimp for a competition, a full-grown shrimp, it needs to be three centimeters. Anything larger than that is kind of rare. It does happen, but it's very uncommon. Uh, I don't think anything's ever been recorded over like four centimeters. And now, we're, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about maybe some of the crossing and things that you've been working on, but it, but what are some of the common color varieties and patterns available? And are, are these seen in the wild or are these purely kind of man-made or uh, man-bred? We do have some wild caught, like the Stardust is one of the newer shrimp into the hobby. These are wild caught. Uh, the Super Princess Beads, the Paracaridina, they are also wild caught. Galaxy Tigers are wild caught. However, the red cherries, blue velvets, green jades, blue dreams, and the neocaridina, these started out with a wild neocaridina and bred them out, uh, whether it was through natural selection or they happened to get a mutation and then were able to breed that out and select from there. With caridina, the most commons are crystal reds and crystal blacks. They do have uh, a bee form of these shrimp in the wild. However, the ones that you see in the hobby are selected to get where they are today. They're not quite as solid in color. They're more transparent. Some of them are even brownish. Hey, so, Grant, could you explain yeah. uh, when you say stardust and like a uh, bee, like what, what does that look like? Could, could you describe it? The stardust is just, uh, it's kind of a bluish, but it has speckles of purple and a few other colors depending on the individual shrimp but they have thousands of dots on them or little speckles so it looks like a bunch of stars in a galaxy and we already have galaxy shrimp so we call them stardust they're kind of new to the hobby i don't think they were really around at all a year ago so there's something that's came into the united states and basically whoever brings them around and discovers them and breeds them out to get them into the uh, general public is the person that controls the name on them and then what's the B? Is that a pattern, or could you explain what the B, B With means? With Caridina, these, most of them are bee shrimps. So you have the crystal shrimp or Taiwan bees or Tai Tai bees. These all have the gene of the native bee shrimp. I'm not sure if they're from all from China or uh, Hong Kong or Vietnam or where exactly they're all from. But um, for the most part, these Caridinas are all in the bee family. What do they look like? Like what, what makes them a bee sort of look? For the most part, they do have a little bit more solid of a shell, but they have the bars in them. 
So it would look white, black, white, black, white, or red, or brown. But they they do kind of look like they have the bumblebee lines going through them. So I I assume that's where the name originated. Okay, I understand. Well, I want to get a little bit more into uh, some of the nuts and bolts, but let's take a short break, and we'll continue our discussion of freshwater aquarium shrimp with my guest, Grant Eater, after these messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back and continuing our conversation with my guest, Grant Eater, owner of the Garden of Eater. All right. Well, you gave us a great kind of intro, Grant, into some of the cool varieties and how you got into the hobby and how you got into the shrimp business. I want to talk a little bit more kind of in detail. So when you're um, selecting a shrimp or if you're suggesting shrimp for people to start with, what would be the easiest beginner shrimp? For me, the Neocaridina, they're all the same in carrots. I do nothing different between my red cherries and my green jades. And the red cherries start out at $2 and my green jades end up at $10 each. So there's absolutely nothing different in carrots. They all have inert soil, so the pH is anywhere from 7.2 to 8.2. They're all kept in my house where I AC the entire house at 72. This keeps all of my tanks anywhere from 72 to 74. Uh, except for my Sulawesi tanks, I do have the heaters in there to keep them stable at 80. But besides that, there's no heaters in any of my other tanks. And they're very, very easy, very hardy. As long as you get some home bread, they won't be introduced to any parasites or diseases. They should be quarantined and taken care of by then, by the time they're sold as home bread, by somebody actually bred them in the United States. And by doing that, you'll increase your startup rate. You won't have so many deaths or anything like that. Uh, A lot of people's issue is they go to a pet store and they'll get the shrimp from them and they're rushed through imports and everything like that, and the shrimp is very stressed out. However, there's several pet stores that do buy from local hobbyists, so you can ask your pet store, are these bred by a local hobbyist, or you know, were they imported, and just rush through. You can also ask them how long they've had the shrimp. If they've been there in the system for over a month, you know, they're pretty safe, should be nice and hardy. But all of these shrimp are very easy. You can actually keep them in a higher temperature if you needed. However, anything above 76, I tend to see more bacterial infections happen. And uh, so I try to keep all of my tanks below 74, if possible. Is there any specific issues with like hardness, like, um, you know, if there's soft water or any other parameters that they need to worry about on that side? I was just going to say that. No, they can take very low TDSs, as low as uh, 100, 120. Uh, A general hardness of five is needed. 
but they can take very hard water. I've seen them survive a general hardest of 15, a TDS of 500. So just depending on, you know, where your water comes from out of your tap versus who you're getting your shrimp from. But for most part, you may not need to acclimate these shrimp very much or very long at all. Their parameters vary very, very much. So they're not like a, a bee or a caradina where, you know, you need that pH down low at, you know, 5, 5 to 6, 5, and you need the temperature down low and you need the KH at zero. You know, these are neocaradina. They're very hardy. The parameters vary, probably the widest range of any other shrimp I know of. So um, do hobbyists need to worry about, you know, general ammonia and nitrite spikes? Will the shrimp be sensitive to those? Well, the best part about shrimp is there's not a lot of tank mates that you can keep with them. So for the most part, they're a very low bio load. With most of my tanks, I only feed them about two or three times a week. And besides that, I have plants in all of my tanks. So they're absorbing the nitrates and nitrates and reducing any buildup of uh, waste in the water. But in the first place, there's not a lot because I'm dropping a very, very small piece of food in there. And to begin with, the shrimp eat it all within two to three hours. Most of my foods say they won't pollute the water anyways. They're very, very low bio load. So as long as you have a good amount of water volume and you're not dropping an algae wafer in there every single day, I don't see any ammonia spikes in any of my tanks, uh, except for one time my daughter threw a quesadilla in one of my tanks. That wasn't good. Did they like it? No. <laughs> they liked it for a bit until the tortilla dissolved into a dust. and I, <laughs> I didn't see it right away, and I just thought she had ate it all. And I'm not sure how long exactly it was, but by the time I found it and went to remove it, it had just disintegrated in my hand. I did a 90% water change, but the <laughs> shrimp didn't fare very well. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, live and learn. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, you kind of mentioned that, you know, that in general people kind of keep them separate, but, but you said potentially that they may be able to put some other non-shrimp in there. What other species or fish or whatever can you put in with uh, shrimp if you have a, uh, any of these shrimp? I recently just got panda loaches. As long as they're small, they shouldn't be an issue. Any nano fish that's very, very small shouldn't be an issue for adults. However, with babies, they're so tiny, any shrimp that can fit inside a fish's mouth is going to be considered food. So if you have a heavily planted tank, lots of moss and places for the babies to hide out and grow up, you can keep certain fish, the smaller the better, with the shrimp and still have a population grow and whatnot. However, I've kept dwarf quarries, I've kept auto catfish, and every time I keep them in my tank, I see either the breeding is reduced significantly or stopped altogether. I had some red cherries in with my dwarf quarries, and they just schooled around so much and swam through the bottom so much that I just think they were stressing out my females, and every time they got buried, they would get stressed and absorb the eggs or drop them. So I just never had any babies in that tank. I took the dwarf quarries out almost immediately. All my females got buried, and I had babies in the tank within the next 30 days. So anything that you keep in the tank fish-wise can stress out your females. So if breeding is your main objective, I suggest keeping no fish in the tank. 
I've got a couple of smaller bristlenose plecos that I keep in some of my tanks, but my rule is, is when they get about two and a half inches, I'll take them out. I don't have them in any of my Caradina tanks. They're all in my Neos just to kind of clean the glass a little bit better so I don't have to maintenance all of my tanks. But for any of my breeding tanks, my Pintos or my hybrid crossing tanks, no fish at all. We can keep snails in all the tanks. Snails aren't really a bother. My favorite snail is rabbit snails. However, they destroy any plants that they come in contact with. So I keep them in tanks where I uh, don't have a lot of plants. If I do, it's just a moss ledge or some Anubis or Bucelodandra. That's kind of harder for them to eat as quick. They're a harder leaf plant. They won't eat them as fast. But uh, ram's horns, pond snails, assassin snails, I've even kept with my shrimp. I find that they don't really bother the shrimp unless the shrimp's already sick or dead in the first place. I've never seen a shrimp being attacked by an assassin snail. Uh, Neurite snails, these are all great to keep, especially because they can't breed in fresh water. So snails are great. Dwarf crawfish are another thing that a lot of people put into their shrimp tanks. With me, I don't keep crawfish with my shrimp, but I keep all my crawfish tanks that have shrimp in them. So with them being so large and the shrimp so small and fast, even if they were to go after and try and hunt them, I find the chances of them ending in between their claws very low. I've never seen an actual crawfish eating any of my shrimp. I've got a couple tanks of electric blue alien eye crawfish that are probably three and a half inch in size and probably 200 or so orange neocaridinas in their tanks and no issues at all. So crawfish are good. But besides that, I don't really recommend keeping anything with your shrimp besides snails and plants. Okay, that's good to know. A lot of great information. Real briefly, um, you mentioned inert substrate. So uh, when you say that, are you talking about just like general soil to keep the plants in or what kind of substrate do you use? And then for the caradina, you mentioned they need a lower pH. So what would you use for them? So for neocaradina or my caradina tiger shrimp, we need an inert soil. So this is anything that won't affect pH. Gravel, any kind of play sand. My favorite is the black diamond blasting sand. For $9, you get a 50-pound bag. I can do like 10 10-gallon tanks with it. So you really can't beat that. No matter what you get on the market that's for inert tanks, anything that has a benefit for plants, that's all going to be really gone within the first month anyways without adding fertilizer. So, you know, I've bought in the more expensive gravels and stuff at pet stores. But over the long run, if you're not dosing fertilizer, getting just the cheap black diamond sand from tractor supply is the best bet. So for inert soils, those are what I recommend. With caradina, you need a lower pH. I'm currently using Brightwell for all of my tanks. I think I set up 10 tanks already this month with Brightwell soil in it. It lasts quite a long time compared to other soils I've tried. The grains are kind of hard. When you pinch them in between your fingers, they don't crumble. So that means they're going to last a lot longer than something that you grab and you put in your hand and you pinch and it turns to dust. Also, all the grains are uniform, so they're all about the same size. You're not going to get half dust in the bottom of the bag or uh, different size grains throughout the tank. So it looks a lot better, in my opinion, when you're scaping and whatnot. And with the Sulawese, I use a mixture of agronite and crushed coral to bring my pH up to about 8. You could also use limestone as well if you'd like. Okay. 
Now, you mentioned a couple of different species. Can any of them crossbreed? With Neocaridina, almost all of them will crossbreed. So if you're going to mix colors, there's a chance where you could end up with something cool. That's how we get, you know, new morphs and new crosses and variants is by mixing uh, very, very few of the new forms and what we see come out are from a genetic mutation. So what happens is you take two different Neocaridina shrimp and you cross them. For nine out of ten times in my experience, what happens is they'll end up back to their wild form. So, you know, this kind of drops your, the price of your shrimp from a three or, you know, six dollar Neocaridina shrimp down to an undesired, very translucent, tigerish looking shrimp. You know, some people think they're cool, but they, for whatever reason, they're way quicker. They breed faster and everything like that as a wild. There's less inbreeding going on, I assume. So when they're back to a wild form, they just outbreed and they're so quickly. So anybody that has wild shrimp, they sell them so cheap. So, you know, you'd be lucky if you could get 25 cents for them, let alone 50 cents for a wild Neocaridina. So crossing them is kind of undesirable. However, you do have that one in 10 chance where you'll end up with a really form or, or morph, which is like where the head and tail will be one color but in the center, their body will be translucent or some of them are even bluish in the middle. So, you know, that's really cool. And by getting that, you get that by crossing. And my first cross was red cherry and blue velvet. The seller that I got my first blue velvets from, more than half of them were dead in the bag when I first got them. And they didn't fare very well in my tank. And I was down to one blue velvet. So I decided to put some of my red cherries in the tank with them. And he got a couple of my females pregnant, and I ended up with a bunch of blue-bodied red rillies. So that was very cool. I kind of did it by accident. I didn't know that was going to happen. But, you know, I've done this several times with a couple of different other shrimps and gotten some cool results. But it's just, it's a lot of trial and error. With the Caradina, almost every time you cross it, you're going to end up with something cool. You can take a bee and cross it with a tiger, and that's how you get tie bees. And the cheapest tie bee is $4, and the most expensive tie bee I have right now is $350. So just basically what makes it more money is the type of genes, the pattern, the strength of color, the thickness of shell, and lack of transparency. So by crossbreeding multiple times back and forth, removing any transparent males that you may have, you can end up with some really cool, rather expensive shrimp, but you can't do that with Neocaridina because after so many crosses, you're almost guaranteed to end up with a wild form. So with Caridina, I've got some that are on 10th generation from my very first crossing back and forth with my orange eye blue tigers and my crystal black shrimp. So th these are very, very fun to cross with and the possibilities are endless. That's cool. Kind of a like a box of chocolates, you're not sure what you're going to get, right? Right. Every day I wake up and I don't look at all of my tanks every single day. I may look at, you know, a good section of tanks while I'm cleaning them and really try and peer into them. And I only feed two or three times a week. So I'll go around and check them at least two or three times a week. And every time I do that, I find somebody new is pregnant or, you know, a new batch of babies. And it's really a good day when you find something that you've just never seen before and you have no clue what he's going to grow up and look into. And with chameleons, 
it really got me because when you have baby Hatch, he's good to sell at two months, but you won't really see his true colors until he's about a year old. So just the weight and length of time you had to hold out until you saw the true colors on these creatures was just killing me. But with shrimp, you can almost tell right away what they're going to look like when they grow up. Just however it, it fills out and how the lines are going to form is really, you know, what you're left to explore with your imagination. So you do have to wait to see the final product, but the wait is not that long and it's worth it. So what's the smallest tank that people keep shrimp in? I've seen some one gallon or half gallon tanks, you know, very, very tiny tanks plants in them or even a couple moss balls and a piece of cola wood. But with such a small volume of water like it is in with the hobby with anything, it's so hard to keep those parameters stable. So with such a small bioload and these shrimps actually not needing a lot of food in the first place, if you have a small tank and you like to feed your shrimp, those ammonia levels are going to climb and it can be potentially very dangerous for the shrimp. So the higher volume of water is just more desirable, just like it is anywhere in the hobby. So it's better to get as big as you can. However, these are a small creature. They are a small biolode. So as long as you do feed very little, you can do it in a very, very small tank. There's people that do it. So the proof is out there. Just remember that these shrimp, they're scavengers. So they graze on everything. And they're constantly picking at the tiny microscopic organisms that are living throughout your tank that you can't even see with the naked eye. So they're going through this tank. They're constantly eating. Biofilm will grow on any surface area in the tank. So the more plants that you add in there, rocks and wood and whatnot, you're going to increase your surface area. This will increase your biofilm and will decrease the amount of food that you'll need to put in. So some of these very small planted vases and stuff like that, they'll keep shrimp in there and they'll never even feed them and they actually do very well. Okay. Well, I've got a few more questions. We're getting close to pretty much the end, but the first one is, are there issues with like uh, having too many shrimp? Are they territorial? And the second is, can you mix species like a neocaridina with caridina or is that not a problem? Actually, the only time the shrimp will become territorial um, really is when you mix the species and not as much as you'd probably think. For me, in my experience, it's gone both ways to where either the neocaridina will be the main colony on your food source and they'll also outbreed the other caridinas in the tank. But I've had it go the other way where the caridinas were the main food scavengers and they were also outbreeding the neos. So whenever I mix the two, one always outdoes the other. So if you're looking to get maximum numbers of reproduction out of both of the shrimp, uh, I suggest separating them. However, they're not going to go after one another. They're not going to cause harm to one another. They'll just decrease the numbers of one. And, you know, eventually they could outpopulate the other just over time. If the shrimp die of old age and they're not able to reproduce, you'll end up with just one type of shrimp in the tank. But, you know, keeping a thousand shrimp in one 10 gallon is not unheard of. So it just comes to a point where, you know, most people just kind of want to upgrade their tanks anyways. I've never heard of somebody overstocking a tank by actually breeding it themselves. You know, you could easily go out and purchase 2000 shrimp and throw them into a five gallon tank. Okay. 
Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. I, I want to thank Grant Eater and our producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. Grant, did you have any final words of wisdom or information that would be useful for our listeners? Uh, no, just if you want more, I'm doing a ton of videos on my YouTube channel. It's very new. Look me up at the Garden of Eater. Other than that, thanks for having me. Well, thank you again. And uh, please be sure to check out Grant's web links, which will be found on his Aquarium Media guest page. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. And I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium Media blog on Pet Life Radio. Until next time, please be sure to check out the Garden of Eater online and on Facebook and on YouTube. We'll have links for those. Visit your local aquarium stores, keep your tanks clean, and your fish and shrimp healthy. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.